And welcome to Radio Drama Revival, a show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here's your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. And I'm your host, Fred. Well, uh, today we welcome back our good friends at the Quicksilver Radio Theater, the brilliant troupe behind such memorable works as Julius Caesar, uh, Frankenstein, and the original Lincoln's Last Day. Their work is characterized by, uh, first off, by choosing uh, great scripts, taking uh, classics as well as originals, and uh, bringing a really fresh take to it. Um, it also has uh, you know superb acting, uh, crisp sound effects, um, great music, film quality type, uh, orchestral scores, all kinds of great stuff. And um, today is actually a first Radio Drama Revival because of the work that we're going to play today is the first broadcast of a Sherlock Holmes mystery tale here on the show. Uh, maybe a little odd to think that because of how common uh, Sherlock Holmes is out there in the Radio Drama Revival, uh, Radio Drama, excuse me, world. But uh, to be honest, so much of it is either sort of uh, amateur productions or uh, community done or just doesn't really have any uh, zip to it, any life. And that's what um, Quicksilver nails really well in this diabolical and chilling tale, The Speckled Band. Uh, and The Speckled Band is one of the most remarkable Holmes mysteries, uh, one of the uh, most eerie and creepy ones. It apparently was also one of uh, Sir Arthur and Conan Doyle's favorite stories of his own. Um, and it features uh, Holmes and Watson as they learn clues about a very terrible string of murders and uh, try to act quickly in order to stop them. And it's uh, like... Uh, most of Quicksilver's work, it's about an hour long, so it's a two-parter. Um, ha- first half today, we'll be introducing us to the components of the mystery. Next time, we'll see whether what happens to those components. And uh, yeah, uh, stay tuned now for The Speckled Band, and it was performed live, which is another uh, really remarkable thing about a production of this caliber uh, done in front of a live studio audience in New York City. So enjoy the first half of The Speckled Band. From the Museum of Television and Radio in New York... Quicksilver Radio Theater, winner of the Silver Reel Award, presents A Tangled Web of Greed and Torture. Our author considered it one of his very best tales. Please, turn down your lights and return with us to that gaslit London where it is always 1895 as we present The Adventure of the Speckled Band by Arthur Conan Doyle. Watson, wake up. It was early one cold April morning that I awoke in my small upstairs room to find the hawk-like figure of Sherlock Holmes standing partly dressed by the side of my bed. Get up. He was a late riser as a rule, and as the clock on the mantel announced that it was but seven, I blinked up at him with some annoyance at the shaking of my shoulder. I'm sorry to wake you, Watson. It's the common lot this morning. (laughs) Mrs. Hudson was awakened, she woke me, and now I you. What is it then, a fire? No, no, a client. A young lady has arrived in a considerable state of excitement. An acquaintance of yours, Miss Enid Stoner. Enid, Enid Stoner? Yes, I, I knew her mother and Enid and her poor sister Violet when they were just schoolgirls. I've spoken of them to you. Yes, I recall the sadness attached to the name. Now, when young ladies wander about the metropolis at this hour of the morning, knocking sleepy people out of their beds, I presume they have something very pressing to communicate. I am sure of it. Well, then get dressed and come downstairs. Of the more than 70 odd cases in which I have, during the last eight years, studied the methods of my friend Sherlock Holmes, I find some tragic and some comic. Working for his art rather than wealth, he rejected any investigation which did not tend toward the unusual. But I cannot recall any more strange than the one I speak of now. 
I have recently been freed from a promise of secrecy by the lady to whom it was given, and it is well that the facts come to light, for there are widespread rumors about Dr. Grimsby Roylott, which are even more horrible than the truth. I threw on my clothes and found Holmes in our cluttered sitting room in his hideous purple dressing gown. Standing near the window was a pretty young lady just lifting a veil from her face. She wore a haggard look and her hair was prematurely streaked with grey. Dr. Watson, oh. it is a comfort to see your kind face again. How do you do, Miss Enid? This is my friend, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, of whom I spoke when we last met. Yes, we introduced ourselves, Watson. Oh. Excellent fire, Mrs. Hudson. Thank you, Mr. Holmes. Please, bring our guest a cup of hot coffee. She is shivering. Oh, it won't be a minute, miss. Oh, thank you. But, Mr. Holmes, it is not the cold which makes me shiver. What, then? It is fear, Mr. Holmes. Terror. You must not fear. We shall soon set matters right. Pray, sit down there by the fire. You came in by train this morning, I see. Uh, how would you know that? I observed the return half of a ticket in the cuff of your left glove. I should say you started early and had a long drive in a dog cart along heavy roads to the station. Uh, but... The left arm of your jacket is spattered with fresh mud in no less than seven places. Only a dog cart throws mud in that way when you sit on the left-hand side of the driver. I left home before six and travelled, as you said, to catch the first train to Waterloo. Mm. Doctor, mm? everything you told me of your friend was true. <laughs> ah, this is nothing. Please, tell us why you are here. Mr. Holmes, I am under such a strain that I shall go mad if it continues. Do you think that your powers could shed a little light in the darkness which surrounds me? At present, it is not in my power to report you. Ah, a friend of the firm may pay what they can, when they can. Now, here's your oh, coffee, miss. Thank you, Mrs. Hudson, thank you. Now, Miss Stoner, the good doctor knows you, but I do not. Pray tell me all you can about yourself and your problem. Alas, the horror of my situation is... is my fears are so vague, my suspicions based on such trivial points. No point is trivial for our purposes. I am all attention, madam. I live with my stepfather, who is the last survivor of one of the oldest Saxon families in England, the Roylots of Stoke Moran, on the western border of Surrey. Yes, the name is familiar to me, and we have had business in Surrey before, Martin. Indeed. The family was once among the richest in England, and the estate vast. In the last century, however, four successive heirs were of wasteful disposition. Nothing is left but a few acres and a heavily mortgaged manor. The last squire was an aristocratic pauper, but his only son, my stepfather, obtained a loan from a relative, earned a medical degree, and moved to Calcutta. While there, he married my mother, the young widow of a major general of the Bengal artillery. My twin sister Violet and I were but girls. <laughs> Delightful girls, Holmes. I met the stoners while in the service there. <laughs> Mother had considerable money, Mr. Holmes, mm. which she assigned to Dr. Roylott alone while we lived with him, with the provision that an annual sum would be allowed to each of us when we married. And how was this new member of the family? Hmm. How to describe Dr. Roylott? Well... Once in a fit of anger, caused by some thefts in the house. Uh, no one uh, takes uh, what uh, is mine. He whipped our native servant to death. He spent time in prison and became very morose. We returned to England. And soon after, 
My mother died in a railway accident near Crewe. And Dr. Roylott abandoned his attempts at a practice in London and took us with him to the ancestral house at Stoke Moran. The money which Mother had left was enough for our wants, and we hoped to settle into a new life. What happened to prevent that? Mr. Holmes, a terrible change came over my stepfather. Our neighbours were overjoyed to see a Roylott back at the family seat, but he shut himself up in the house. Whenever he did come out, he had a ferocious quarrel with whomever crossed his path. Why? If only I knew. A violent temper runs in the men of his family. Two brawls ended up in the police court. He's like a wild beast when angry. But no, Doctor... Remember your place, you fool! Last week, he threw the blacksmith off a culvert into a stream. Only by paying all the money at my disposal did I avert another public embarrassment. He may mistreat a blacksmith, not my client. This nonsense will not happen again. He has no friends save wandering gypsies who camp on our grounds. He goes away with them for weeks on end. Oh, and his Indian animals, a cheetah and a baboon, wander the grounds, frightening the villagers as much as their master. My lord. My poor sister and I took little pleasure from our lives. We did all the work of the house. No servant would stay with us. Violet was only 30 when she died, yet her hair had already begun to whiten as his mind. Dr. Watson assisted at her inquest, did he not? A sorry service to pay a friend. I will tell you the manner of her death. Violet and I rarely saw anyone our own age, but we occasionally visited my mother's sister near Harrow. At Christmas time two years ago, Violet met a marine major and became engaged. But within a fortnight of the wedding day, terrible event occurred which deprived me of my only companion. There, there, there Miss Enid, you, you are So soon after my mother's death, I despaired so that I contemplated ending my own life. Your life is not your own. You keep your hands off it. All is not lost. <coughs> Watson, hmm? uh, would you be good enough to hand me the slipper full of tobacco on the mantel there? Of course. Do you mind, Miss Stoner? A pipe helps focus the mind. Of course. <coughs> Th thank you. Watson. Now, Miss Stoner, pray be precise as to details. Every event of that dreadful night is seared into my memory. The house is very old, with only one wing now inhabited. Our bedrooms are on the ground floor. First Dr. Roylott's, next my sister's, and then my own. There are no connections between them, but they all open into the same corridor. The windows all open onto the lawn. Is that clear? Perfectly. That night, Dr. Roylott had gone to his room early, though we knew he had not retired, for Violet was bothered by the smell of his strong Indian cigar. <laughs> she left her room and came to mine, and we sat on the bed talking about her wedding. At eleven, she rose to go, but paused at the door and looked back. Enid, have you ever heard anyone whistling in the dead of night? <laughs> Never. I don't suppose you whistle in your sleep. No, silly. Why? The last few nights, at about three in the morning, I have heard a low, clear whistle. You know I'm a light sleeper. It wakes me. But I cannot tell where it comes from. Could it be those wretched gypsies? Very likely. And yet, wouldn't you hear them too? Sleep more heavily than you. Well, it's of no great consequence. Sleep well. 
night was a wild night. I could not sleep. A vague feeling of impending tragedy hung over me. Violet and I were twins, and subtle links bind such souls. Suddenly... <coughs> Vi? I sprang from my bed. As I grabbed a shawl, I was started by a loud metallic clang. I ran out into the hall. My sister's door unlocked and slowly opened. Vi Violet! By, by the light of the corridor lamp, my sister appeared at the opening, her face white with terror, swaying like a drunkard, her hands groping for help. I threw my arms around her. Violet, what is it? She writhed on the floor in pain, her limbs convulsed. down her throat, but she never regained consciousness. Such was the wretched death of my dear sister. Horrible. Miss Stoner, you're sure about the whistling and that metallic clang? You swore so to the coroner at the inquest, did you not, Miss Enid? Uh, yes, but amid the crash of the gale, I... I may have been deceived. She had locked her door. Was it your custom to lock yourselves in at Always. Night? Why? Um, well, I believe I mentioned a cheetah and a baboon. Mm. We did not feel secure unless our doors were locked. Yes. Was your sister dressed? Uh, only in her nightdress. And in the right hand was the charred stump of a match. She had struck a light and looked about before crying out. That is significant. Mm. Tell me about the inquest. Oh, it was a very strange day, and Dr. Roylott acted in such an unusual manner. We were in the main hall as the coroner and the jurors came downstairs. Rogers, what do you mean hanging over us? Do your job and seat people round the table in the morning room. Yes, sir. For God's sake, Enid, don't I have enough to worry me without your sniveling? Father, don't be so harsh with me. What were they loitering for? I suppose that ass of a coroner was lecturing them. If I and your doctor friend were satisfied, surely that is good enough. Girl, bear up. I was as fond of Violet as you. Were you? Every family has their little tiffs. But since your mother's death, you two have been like my own daughters. Mind you, tell them that. Let's go in. <coughs> Gentlemen, as coroner, I notified you that the county pathologist could not be here today. A family friend, Dr. John Watson, has performed that duty. But you are not in practice, I understand, Doctor. I am a retired army surgeon. You retired young. I received a leg wound in the Afghan campaign. I see, I see. You knew Dr. Roylott in the East? No, sir. I knew the stoners. When I heard that the children had come to England, I wrote to remind them that they had a friend here. This morning, I received a wire from Miss Enid and came at once. You were not the only medical man to see the body? Uh, no. Uh, Dr. Roylott is a medical man. Exactly. Without painful details, you found no physical lesions, nothing to account for death, no signs of violence. Uh, nothing... Signs so of poison. 
non-observable. Yet surely there was a cause. Several causes of death leave no sign. Uh, For instance, the subtler poisons for which we have no test. No doubt. But you will recall, Doctor, that the young lady died five to six hours after her last meal, and we found no envelope or bottle in her room. It would be a strange poison that struck suddenly hours after being taken. Yes, I I cannot name one. One can also die of nervous shock or a a broken heart. None of these things leave a physical sign. Have you any reason to suspect such shock or broken-heartedness? The testimony of her sister, the expression on the face of the deceased, a a general impression that she was not happy. What? I fear we cannot deal with general impressions. Had you corresponded with these young ladies because you suspected that they were unhappy? No, sir. I I only wrote because I had known Helen Stoner and felt for her daughters upon her tragic death. This is completely irrelevant. Dr. Roylett, please sit down. Dr. Watson, please confine your remarks to the present situation. Oh, I saw you examine the window of the room. Do you suspect that someone from outside attacked the lady? The window was bolted. All night? I believe so. How could you possibly know that? By the dust on the window latch. I have a friend who trained me in matters of observation. I wish that his expertise could be brought to bear Thank here. You, there doctor, are mi- but our county personnel have done an admirable job, I think. We are obliged to you and will detain you no longer. Thank you. <clears throat> Just one moment, Dr. Watson. I did not ask you here, and your insolence is not welcome. And I do not like what I have seen and heard here today, Dr. Roylott. Uh, Miss Enid, goodbye. Don't forget that you have a friend. Bravo, Watson. Excellent work. Now, can either of you tell me anything more about the room in which the death took place? I checked the walls and floor. Quite solid all round. Has the room a fireplace? Yes, with a barred chimney. Mm. These are deep waters. Miss Stoner, how do you believe that your unfortunate sister met her end? I believe that she died of nervous shock, though what frightened her I cannot imagine. And what did you gather from this allusion to a band, a speckled band? At times I have thought it was merely delirium, or that it may have referred to a band of people. Were the gypsies on the grounds at the time? Yes, there are nearly always some there, and they often wear spotted kerchiefs on their heads. Perhaps, perhaps. Oh, thank you for the coffee, Mrs. Hudson. Yes, sir. But, Miss Stoner... What has brought you here to Baker Street nearly a year after these events? Well, a month ago, a dear friend, Lieutenant Charles Curtis of Reading, honoured me with the proposal of marriage in the spring. Congratulations. Thank you. My stepfather offered no opposition. In fact, he has been kinder of late. But there is a look in his eyes when I catch him unawares. I feel as if he were waiting. For what? Charles leaves soon for duty in the Mediterranean. I will be alone, and that room freezes my blood. What what room? You have moved to another room. It is a tumble-down old house. Dr. Roylott is having my old room renovated. You sleep, then, in the room where your sister died? In the same bed. Imagine, then, my terror when last night, as I lay awake remembering her fate, I heard the herald of her death. I sprang up and lit the lamp, but saw nothing. I was too shaken to go back to bed, so I dressed, and as soon as it was daylight, I slipped out with the sole object of coming for your advice. You did wisely. But have you told me all? Uh, uh, Of course. Oh, you have not. You are screening your stepfather. Uh, What do you mean? Pray, pull back the lace cuff 
from your wrist. Watson? Circled with bruises from the grip of a large hand. Miss Stoner, you have been cruelly used. Dr. Watson will tell you that my stepfather can be a hard man. Yes. But he's always sorry for his temper afterwards. I'm, I'm sure. Miss Stoner, I take up your case. But... You must place yourself entirely in my hands. I do so, unreservedly. There are a thousand details which I need to know before I decide on our course of action, and we have not a moment to lose. If I come to Stoke Moran today, could I see these rooms without the knowledge of your stepfather? As it happens, he is coming into town today to obtain a new mm. butler. Dr. Roylott accuses poor old Rogers of spying and is forcing him to leave. Huh. A difficult position to fill, no doubt. Would he apply to an agency? Yes. He uses Gillette and Rathbone of Brett Street. Oh, indeed. Uh, we have had some dealings with them, have we not, Watson? Holmes, now? He may no, be out of the not, house for some time, but he is a very unpredictable man. Yeah, well, we must make what opportunities we can, then. You are not averse to a trip, Watson. By no means. Good. I must see the grounds somehow. Miss Stoner, what shall you do now? I have one or two things to do now that I am in town, but I shall return home by the noon train. Watson, mm -hmm. there is some question whether we are justified in allowing her to return oh, to no, Stoke No, I must go. You do not know my stepfather. Uh, we will rectify that situation. <laughs> I have gained courage merely by confiding my trouble in you. I look forward to seeing you later today. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye. Au revoir, Miss Stoner. Mrs. Hudson, please show our guest out. Yes, Mr. Holmes. Right this way, dear. We must watch over her. What do you make of it all, Watson? It seems a most dark and sinister business. Dark enough and sinister enough. If the door, window, floor, walls and chimney are impassable, mm. then must not Miss Violet have been alone when she met her end? But, but what of the nightly whistling oh. and her peculiar dying words? Hmm. If we combine the doctor's interest in preventing his stepdaughter's marriage mm. with a band of gypsies with whom he is familiar, a speckled band, mm. and the metallic clang that Miss Enid heard, perhaps a shutter falling back into place, the mystery may be cleared along those lines. But what, then, did the gypsies do? I see many objections to your theory. Alas, so do I. Mm. We are going to Stoke Moran to see if they can be explained away. Uh, uh, Holmes, uh, Suppose that yes. Roylott did the other girl to death. Is it not unlikely he would try again? Two no. sudden deaths in the house could hardly pass the coroner's... No, 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 Watson. You are making the mistake of putting your blessedly normal mind into Roylott's abnormal being. The born criminal is a monstrous egotist. What he wants, he must have. Because he thinks a thing, it is right. If he does a thing, it will escape detection. Now, I think... I demand to see Mr. Holmes. Just one minute, sir. How dare you treat me in this fashion? Oh, rude man. Mr. Holmes, a gentleman to see you at once. Oh, who is it? A great swarthy man with a black beard and a long white uh, my, scar My God, cheek. Holmes. Well, let him in. Shall I stay? He's an ugly customer. Tut, go out and show him in. Are you Holmes? That is my name, but you have the advantage of me. Let's see, a mixture of the professional with the agricultural, black top hat, long frock coat, but with high gaiters. Oh, and hunting crop, burnt by the sun. Mightn't you be... I am Dr. Grimsby Roy Lott. Indeed. Sir, this is pretty treatment. Does that old woman act on your instructions? 
Is it your habit to lock out your visitors? Only those who seem inclined to make trouble. Insolence! I have traveled all the way from Stoke Moran. Very pretty country. Obviously good for the lungs. Pray take a seat. I will do nothing of the kind. I have traced my stepdaughter here. What has she been saying to you? The first law of my profession, Doctor, is to ask questions, not answer them. Sir, you shall answer me. Well, we could do with warmer weather. But I hear the crocuses promise well. You put me off, do you? I know of you. Holmes, the meddler, the busybody, the amateur Scotland Yarder. Oh, well. And you, Watson. I expected to find you here. What do you mean by interfering with my lawful affairs? So long as they are lawful, Dr. Roylott, no one is likely to interfere with them. Now look here! Uh, I may seem a bit hot-headed. Oh, no. I will. I will sit down. There. Mm. Now, I put the matter to you both, man to man. You know how sudden and unreasonable girls can be. Imagine my pain, distrusted by one I have loved. You have our deep sympathy, Doctor. There was your great loss last year. Indeed. I think I could help you in that matter. In what way, sir? I will come down at once, examine the room in which the tragedy occurred, and see if such small faculties as I possess can throw any light upon the matter. Sir, you take intolerable liberty. What you will do for me is leave my affairs alone. Alone, sir. Do you hear me? Perfectly well. I'll have no interference. I speak to both of you. We both hear you. Yes, most entertaining. When you go out, close the door. It's getting windy in here. I will go when I've had my say. See here. Roylott, drop the poker. Watson can tend to the coals. I am not a safe man to play with, Mr. Holmes. See this! All I see is someone ruining Mrs. Hudson's fire iron. But... There! There. That's fixed it. Now, what were we talking about before the Circus Strongman show? I warn you, no one has ever crossed my path without being the worst for it. Yes. So many have said that, and yet here I am. You refuse to admit that Miss Stoner has been here. Aren't we traveling just a little in a circle? Well, I'll deal with her then. Uh, Then I must talk a little seriously to you, Dr. Grimsby Roylott. I do know something of this lady's circumstances. If anything should befall her, I hold you responsible. My eye is on you, and the Lord help you. The Lord help you if I catch you tripping. Now leave this room. And take my warning with you. You damned fool. Stay out of my affairs and keep clear of Stoke Moran. I had a premonition he would slam the door. Very amiable person, Watson. Thank you for a very pretty problem. Fancy his audacity. Confusing me with the regular police. I hope that our friend will not suffer from her imprudence in allowing that brute to trace her. Mrs. Hudson! Yes, Mr. Holmes? Clear away these things, won't you? Oh, he didn't eat very much. I have a case to feed upon, Mrs. Hudson. If I hurry downtown, I can just make it to a certain office in time to be in a position to help us with this matter. Uh, Or where is that Bradshaw's schedule? (laughs) No one respects my system of organization. Ha! Watson. Hmm? Can you make the 215 train from Waterloo Station towards Stoke Moran? I can. Good. 
Perhaps you can see me at the station, perhaps not. May I take your old service revolver with me? Of course, if you think we may need it. Well, I think a Webley's number two would make an excellent argument against a gentleman who bends steel pokers. Right. That and a toothbrush should be all we need. Now, if we should not meet before Stoke Moran, Hmm. please place yourself in a position from which you can observe the household as much as possible without being observed yourself. hmm? I shall meet up with you at some point in the evening. You can trust me, Holmes. I know I can, old fellow. I know I can. Until we meet again. And that was the first half of the speckled band a dastardly Holmes adventure dramatized with the Quicksilver Radio Theater directed by Jay Stern, adapted by the producer Craig Wickman. Uh, Wickman also star- stars as Holmes, along with John Prav as Watson, Katie Nutt, Vito Labella, Joseph Francini, and Ghislaine Nichols. Hope I got that right. Uh, music was by the Tony Award winner Mark Holman. Uh, sound effects by Suziza and David Shin. I hope those two names sound familiar to you. Uh, it was engineered by Dominique Barbera and Joe Keel of Soundtrack New York. Uh, so, will the intrepid Holmes and his companion Watson be fast enough to stop this series of mysterious murders before any more can happen? We'll find out next week with the conclusion of The Speckled Band. And of course, you can't wait for more. Check out the blog, RadioDramaRevival.com. In addition to a handy link to subscribe to the podcast, you'll find all the previous episodes, scattered bits of audio drama news, articles, and spectacular reviews as part of the Malleus series by Chris Duker. And while you're there, why not leave a comment or two? Um, you can also find the show on iTunes. Search for Radio Drama Revival. And that wraps it up for this week. Uh, Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and have a great week.